Yeah, how many of us can relate to that feeling of I am just absolutely overwhelmed by my financial responsibilities, all the things that I've committed to? I, I think probably most of us at one point or another in our life can identify and relate to that feeling of I've just got too much. And that's kind of why we've been exploring for the last few weeks this series called the ABCs of Financial Success. In week one, we talked about our attitude toward money, and we were reminded that God is the owner of everything. Everything that I have really belongs to God, and I've just been entrusted with it for a short time to care for it or to manage it for Him. In the second week, we talked about the importance of breaking the bondage of debt and how a lot of us find ourselves uh, overwhelmed by debt at times. And it does create this sense of bondage. and We become a, a slave to the lender, as the Bible says. And there is a way to break free from that and to experience financial freedom. Last week we talked about the importance of making God the first priority of our lives by honoring Him with our tithe or by giving Him 10% of our income and resources. And we talked about what that can do in our lives and the blessings that come as we place God in that first position of the financial part of our life. Today, we're going to talk about D, and D is for decision. And we're going to talk about an important decision that I want to challenge you to make this morning. Before we jump into that, let me uh, just kind of remind you and talk for a second about the fact that Easter is just a few weeks away. We uh, celebrate Easter on March 23rd, and uh, we're going to use the theme this year for our Easter time, uh, The Door. And I want to encourage you to do two or three things as we get ready for Easter. The first is, I want to ask you to pray about that Sunday. And uh, it is an opportunity that we have uh, to influence a lot of people's lives on that day. People seem to come to church on Easter that don't show up hardly any other time of the year. And we want God to use that day as we try to be really clear in our presentation about who God is and the difference that He can make in our lives. Secondly, I want to ask you to begin to invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. There are some cards that look a lot like this uh, slide that are on the table as you exit today and out at the Welcome Center. And just want to encourage you to pick some of those up and we'll have more again next week and begin to invite people to join us on that day. People are more open to an invitation at Easter than just about any other time of the year. So it's a great time for you to invite people to join you. And I just realized I'm still wearing this thing. Sorry. Uh, third thing is... Um, I want to uh, just say thank you to a group of people. I want to say thank you to all of our volunteers and especially those people who will help out in so many different ways on Easter. But there is a group of people who uh, Easter and when we have Christmas time too, who really kind of go that extra mile on that day. And I want to say thanks to them in advance. And that's all of our people who work with children. Because on Easter Sunday, they make the sacrifice to miss what happens in here so that they can serve parents and children and care for them and help us to create that environment where their parents get to hear the story about God. And I just want to say thank you for going that extra mile in advance. Uh, it makes all the difference, and I'm appreciative of the fact that you can see the big picture and realize that uh, Easter is just not about what's comfortable for us. It's about creating an environment here where people who may be living far away from God have an opportunity to hear about how they can get closer to God. So to all of those people who volunteer that day, thank you uh, so much. And let's be praying and working as we prepare for that day. I don't know if you remember in October of just last year, but that's the month that the fires were raging in Malibu, California. And uh, there's a lot of stories that came out of those fires, but one, the story of Sabrina Mayo Smith and her two children. They were among those people who told they were had just a couple of hours to 
get together the important things before they had to evacuate because the fires were approaching their homes. And so uh, Sabina said to her two children, ages seven and nine, I want you to go and pack the things that are most important to you, the things that we cannot easily replace. I want you to pack some of those things and we'll take them with us. She said her nine-year-old son was paralyzed by those instructions. He stood in the middle of his room just looking around, but unable to decide what it was he should pack, what it was that was really important to him. And after he had stood there for several minutes, unable to make a decision, he finally said to his mom, Mom, you mean we're just going to let all this stuff burn? We're just going to let all of our things burn? She was taken back by that question, surprised by it, but she quickly responded, yes, that's what will have to happen. We'll have to let it burn. They did pack up some things. They had to make some decisions in those two hours. They packed up things and they evacuated. The good news is their home was untouched by the fire and they returned just a few days later. But in that two-hour time period, they had to make some important decisions about what was really important to them. What is really important to us? I mean, have you ever thought about what's going to happen to all of the stuff, the stuff that we think is so important? What's going to happen to it someday? The Bible tells us what will happen to our stuff. It's recorded in the New Testament in Second Peter. This is what we read there. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's talking about the second coming of Jesus. It says the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements or all of our stuff that we think is so important will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's what's going to happen ultimately to all of our stuff. It's going to be destroyed by fire. And along the way, we have to make some important decisions about what is really important to us. Now, Fortunately for us, we probably don't have to make that in just a two-hour time period, but we do have to decide what is really important to us. And here's the decision that I'm encouraging you to make today, and I just want to be right up front with where we're going today. Here's what I'm encouraging you to do today. I want you to make the decision today that you will decide what's important in your life are the things that God says are important, and that you will decide for that we will line up the way that we handle our finances with God's plan for our finances. So today, that's where we're headed, is to invite you and to encourage you to make that decision about what's really important. Now, to do that, I want us to explore a story in the Old Testament of the Bible about a man named Naaman. And I think we've talked about this story before, and as we talk about the story, you may think, well, what does that have to do with our finances? But I think amidst this story about obedience, there are some great truths that we can gain and apply to our financial future. And so I want us to spend some time in that story today and talk about some truths. Let me tell you the story, and if you want to open your Bibles, it's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. If you don't know where 2 Kings is, I'd encourage you, the easiest thing probably to do is just to look in the table of contents right there in the front of your Bible, and then open that up, and we'll explore that together. 2 Kings 5, let me tell you some of the story, and then I'll read you some of the verses that are there. Naaman was the ruler of the Syrian army. Now, the Syrians were not people who followed God. They would have been called in the Bible at times pagan people because they didn't follow God. And so this was not a, a people who loved God, but he was a very successful ruler of the army in his country and very respected. But he also suffered a great burden, and that was he had the disease of leprosy, which was a debilitating, very difficult disease to deal with. 
Naaman recognized his disease and but didn't know what to do about it. He had a young servant girl who was a slave that had been taken from Israel. And one day she said, you know, I know this prophet in Israel. I think if you went to him, he could heal you of your leprosy. Well, his interest must have been heightened by that. And he started immediately to make arrangements to try to go to Israel and find this prophet who would heal him of his leprosy. And so the first thing he does is to go to his master or to the king and ask for permission. Let's pick up the story there. Second Kings chapter 5, verse 4. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. Naaman must think, I'm going to have to buy my healing. I'm going to have to offer money to this prophet for him to really heal me. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of leprosy. So he takes his this letter... And he takes all these things that he's going to use to buy this healing and he heads off to Israel and he goes to the king and he approaches the king and and says, I hear you can heal me of your leprosy. Well, immediately the king of Israel tears his clothes because he's in torment over this. He thinks this is a trick. The king of Aram has sent him here to to trick me because I, I can't heal him and when I'm not able to heal him, they're going to be angry and they're going to attack. Well, I don't know how. But the Elisha, the prophet of God, knew what was going on. And so he sent word to the king of Israel, I hear that Naaman has come to be healed of his leprosy. Send him to me. I'll heal him. So Naaman and his entourage of people make their way to Elisha's house. We pick the story back up in verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger. Now, I am sure at home, Naaman was not treated this way. Naaman was a powerful man. And if he showed up at your house, you didn't send your messenger out to give him a message. But Elisha does. I don't know if Elisha was busy eating dinner or hanging out with friends or what, but he sends his messenger out. Here's what the messenger says. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went in that way angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. But this is not what he wanted to hear. Elisha says, you go dip seven times in the Jordan River, which was a muddy, dirty river. And Naaman says, there's got to be a better way. we got rivers back home, a lot cleaner, the water's more pure. Why don't you send me there? Why don't you just come out and you wave your hands over me in some kind of big ceremony and heal me? Well, he must have had some good people around him because Naaman, evidently they calm him down and they convince him, you know, maybe it's worth a try. This leprosy is terrible. What's it hurt? Just go dip seven times and see what happens. So that's what he does. Verse 14, So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young man. Naaman's health is restored. Now, immediately Elisha goes back, or I'm sorry, Naaman goes back to Elisha's house and says, Hey, thank you. I've got all this stuff, this gold, this silver, these clothes. Let me give them to you as a gift to say thank you. And I think just so that Elisha could be perfectly clear that he didn't do it because of money, he says, no, 
I know, I, I appreciate your gratitude, but you just hang on to your stuff. Naaman says, okay, and he, he heads home. Now, Elisha has a servant named Gehazi. I think that's a great name. And Gehazi hears all this and thinks, you know, I'd like to have some of that stuff. I don't know why you said no. So while Elisha's busy doing something else, Gehazi goes out on his own and chases down Naaman and makes up this story about these two guys who show up and they have a need. And so Elisha sent me to see if you'd still give us some clothes and money for them. And Naaman, of course, is more than generous. He says, certainly, here, here's some clothing, here's some silver, some gold. Gehazi takes it back and hides it. Then he goes into Elisha's house and Elisha says, where you been? Oh, nowhere. Just hanging out. Elisha says, oh, really? I know where you've been. I know, know what you did. And because of his lack of integrity, because of his deceit, because of his greed, Elisha says to Gehazi, you and your children will suffer leprosy because of the choices that you made today. Now, you know what that story really is about? Obedience. It's about our willingness to place our trust in God and to do what God asks us to do. But woven in that story of obedience, I think there are some truths that have direct application to our financial future. So let me spend a few minutes pointing those out today. First, problems are always opportunities. Problems are always opportunities. Now, Naaman's problem was poor health, his leprosy. But for a lot of us, we suffer from financial problems. And I want you to know, problems are not just lousy circumstances. They can be opportunities. Opportunities for personal development and for God to show Himself in our lives. Now, I know, our problems make us feel like God doesn't care, don't they? I mean, when we suffer under financial struggles, financial difficulties, we tend to think, where is God in this? Doesn't God care about me anymore? And especially if we look at the guy next door to us and we think, you know, he's not that good of a guy. And yet look at his financial situation. He seems to have everything he wants. And we look at our situation and go, where is God in this? We need to be reminded that, first of all, God does not cause any of those problems to come along, but He does take those difficulties that we experience and give us the opportunity to grow as we work through them and for God to demonstrate His power in our lives as He helps us through those difficult times. In the New Testament of our Bible, Paul, a writer there, asks a question that maybe we ask at times. He asks this question in Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, does, does trouble, does financial difficulty separate me from God? Does God withdraw His love from me when I face difficulties? Has God taken His hands off the wheel when I face struggles? He answers His own question two verses later in Romans 8.37. He says, no, in all these things, all these struggles, We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Financial problems are not evidence that God does not care about us. Financial struggles don't mean that suddenly God doesn't love us. They are simply opportunities for God to work in our lives, for us to grow through the situation, for us to learn to place our trust in Him and to trust His plan for our future. 
And I know that a lot of you have discovered that, haven't you? This week when I sent out the email asking you for a lot of you to send me stories about your experience as you have begun to give to God in your life and how that has changed your life, I received a lot of stories. And you know what? There was a common thread through most of those stories where people wrote about how they gave to God, but along the way they encountered some financial and life struggles. But as they continued to be faithful to God through those struggles, they saw God's power at work in their lives in dramatic ways. In fact, we received so many of those stories this week, and they are so encouraging that we've decided next week we're going to spend most of our time sharing those stories with you because I really believe you will be deeply encouraged by what people shared. And if you have a story like that and you haven't shared it yet, feel free to go ahead and email that to us. And we're going to share those stories anonymously next week. And you can send it to stories at crosspointcape.com. And we'd love to continue to hear those stories. Problems are always opportunities. Truth number two. Everyone acknowledged the problem. Everyone in the story, including Naaman, acknowledged that he had a problem, that he had leprosy, and that he needed to do something about it. He needed to get help. And at times in our lives, a lot of us need to acknowledge that we are struggling with finances. I don't know what it is about us, though. There is something within the fabric of our being that holds us back from admitting at times that we are struggling financially and that we could use some help. By the way, I heard of a study they did in Britain. They discovered that British men every year drive six million unnecessary miles because they refuse to stop and ask for directions. Can you imagine that? That's really unfortunate that British men have that problem because American men, that is not an issue, right? You see, ladies, what you don't understand about this in us, you forget that the people who first came to America were explorers. They did not know where they were going, and yet they settled this country and established it for what it is today. That's right. Thank you. Hey, what is it within us, men and women, that when we have struggles, and especially in the area of our finances, we we put up this wall that says, I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to acknowledge that there is a problem. For some reason, money is a very hard subject for us to talk about. And especially in a lot of marriage relationships, this subject is very difficult for husbands and wives to talk about. You know, it's interesting, it seems to me, in most cases, husbands and wives will talk about struggles with their children. They will plan their future together. They will talk about all kinds of issues. Sometimes they'll even have conversations about the very private thing of our sexual relationship. But when it comes to money, so many couples refuse to talk about it. Today, I want to challenge you, if you really want to change this part of your life, if you really want some help, you've got to acknowledge the problem and talk about it. Don't wait for the other person to be the one to start the conversation. I want to encourage you today to decide that you'll be the one to initiate the conversation. And you will talk about this issue of finances and you will acknowledge the problem. And begin to allow God to help you. What if Naaman had said, oh, you know, my leprosy is really not that big a deal. I really don't want to talk about it. I don't want to acknowledge it that it exists. He would never have discovered the healing that God had for him. Truth number three, we will be drawn to the wrong solutions. We'll be drawn to the wrong solutions. 
Naaman thought the other rivers, the rivers back home that were cleaner and had more pure water, that they were a better solution. Elisha said, no, you need to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And you know what? There will be ideas that occur to us when it comes to our finances that will seem to us to be a better solution. An easier solution. We are always tempted to look for the quick fix, the easy way out. And that's why there are so many companies now that advertise on TV and all those other places about debt elimination and debt consolidation. And I'm not saying that all of those are bad, but you know what a lot of them are asking you to do? They're asking you to shortcut what God would ask you to do. They're asking you to ignore the fact that you made an agreement when you borrowed somebody else's money to pay back that money. They're asking you to ignore that. Do you remember what we said early on when we talked about bondage of debt, what God says about that? God says it's wrong when we have borrowed to not repay our debts. But we want to look for the, the quick fix, the easy solution. But as Naaman discovered the best way, the way that works, the way that really brings healing, it's God's way. And when it comes to our finances, the best way, the way that really works, is to do it God's way. Truth number four, we may not like the right solution. You know, when God tells us how to solve our problems, it's not always what we want to hear. The instruction for Naaman to dip seven times in the Jordan River was not what he wanted to hear that day. He wanted Elisha to come out and wave his hands over him and blow trumpets and make a big ceremony and heal him instantly. He didn't want to go dip in a muddy river. But that's what Elisha sent him to do. And God wants to rescue you from your financial difficulties, but there are probably some steps along the way that you would not prescribe for yourself. I know for Peg and I, my wife, we've been working on our budget at home for the last week or so. And I don't like the process. Because you know what? As we're going through our budget and we're trying to figure out ways that we can even more quickly eliminate the little bit of consumer debt that we have, I don't like some of the choices that we have to make. I like to go out to eat a lot. But you know what? On our new budget, we can't do that. Not if we're really going to be serious about getting completely out of debt. And I don't like that process. For some of you, when we talked last week about giving and honoring God with 10% of your income and your resources, you're, that's difficult in your life. And you think, I, I, isn't there some other solution? Isn't there some other way to get in line with what God wants me to be? God, don't you have some other plan? You have like a 2% plan or a... No. God says that's, that's the way. You know what else is interesting in this story? Something compelled Naaman to obey God. And it makes it clear to me, it's a reminder that God does not negotiate His instructions. And even though at times when He, what He asks of us is not what we would ask of ourselves, we are wise to obey His instructions and to trust Him for the results. Truth number five, only obedience brings results. Only obedience brings results. Naaman couldn't just dip two times and be healed. He couldn't just drive by the Jordan River and look at it. He actually had to go and dip seven times in that river to experience healing. Naaman, though, had did what he was supposed to do, but he had to take the risk of obedience and trust God's plan. 
if he was going to experience healing. God gives us very specific instructions about how we ought to handle our money. And if we want to experience what God has for us, then we have got to risk obedience to God and adopt God's plan for our finances. I think Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 nails this down so clearly for us and makes this instruction very clear. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth. And how do we do that? With the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. The, way the, guy, the writer here says the way we honor God with our wealth is to put Him first. And I know we don't live in an agricultural community, but I think we get the idea of the first fruits, don't we? It's all about putting God on the top of the list of our priorities. It's all about putting God at the top of the list when we write out all of our month, monthly financial responsibilities. Sometimes people will ask me, well, what if my financial condition is so tough that if I were to try to tithe right now, it would just endanger my financial situation even more? And you know what, to be honest, it is really difficult for me to tell them when they're in that kind of financial situation, oh yeah, you ought to go ahead and tithe. But you know what, God seems to have a different opinion about that. Because God says, you go ahead and put me first. Even though you can't figure out how it works out on paper, you go ahead and trust me first. Risk obedience and adopt my plan, rather than waiting around to see how it works out. In fact, you know what? There is nowhere that I know of in the Bible where God says for us to put ourselves first. But God very clearly, repeatedly says, put me first and I'll take care of you. In fact, listen to what Jesus said. He was teaching one day and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus says to people like us, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He says, For the pagans run after all of these things. Now, is Jesus saying it's wrong, that it's sinful in some way for me to think about making sure that I have clothes, or that I have food, or have shelter? Is it wrong for me to think about those things? No, He's saying the pagans pursue those things rather than just acknowledging their need before God. They don't trust God. And they do everything in their own power and their own energy to make sure that they have those things. And Jesus went on to say, Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, you know what? God will take care of those things, what you need to wear and having food on the table and having shelter. God will take care of those things. You seek God first. You pursue Him above everything else in your life. And God will take care of making sure those other needs in your life are met. You see, the risk is not in obeying what God asks us to do. The risk is in choosing not to obey God. Truth number six. Uncontrolled greed is costly. And if we're honest this morning, we have all seen the results of uncontrolled greed probably in our own lives. We see it in the huge credit card debt that some of us carry. 
Uh, we see it in that car payment that we make every month that really is more than we can afford. We see it in our lack of savings. Do you notice what happens to Gehazi as a result of his greed? Because of his greed, the Bible says that he and his children suffered leprosy because of his uncontrolled greed. You know what? Some of us suffer because of our parents' greed, don't we? And if we're not careful, some of our children in the future may suffer because of our greed if we don't get this in order the way God wants us to. Truth number seven, my decisions will determine my future. Naaman's choice to be obedient dramatically affected his future. He was forever changed. And the choices that we make from this moment on can change and impact our future. The choices that we make can change our future financially. But more importantly, the choices that we make can change our future spiritually. You see, all this talk about money really comes down to this. How deep of a relationship do you want to have with God? How important are you willing to make God in your life? That's really what we're talking about. Do you remember those words that Jesus said that we talked about the very first week? Jesus said this one day. He said, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus says we are foolish if we make it all about pursuing stuff here on earth, but we don't make the decision to have a rich relationship with God. And that's really what we've been talking about all these weeks. It's not just about money. It's not just about our stuff. In fact, we said the very first week, there's nothing wrong with having nice things and enjoying them. The issue becomes when I make those things more important than my relationship with God, when I am more concerned about accumulating stuff than I am about having a rich relationship with God. I want to invite you to make a decision today. And here's how I want to do that. There are some cards that our hosts and hostesses are going to pass out to you. The card looks like a credit card. I promise you it doesn't work like one. Although if you want to have some fun when you go out to lunch today, hand it to your server and see if they try to swipe it and what happens. It actually says on the very bottom here, it's not a credit card. But it does say this. It says on the front here, discover a bigger piece. And that's what I'm hoping for you, for all of us, that we will discover a bigger peace when we allow God to have control of our finances. The name on the credit card is Will Be Free. And that's what I'm hoping will happen for all of us, that we will be set free from this bondage that finances sometimes have on us. As you're receiving those, then turn over to the back and there are some statements here. And this is the decision I'm asking you to make. And I hope all of you will take one of these cards today. Here's the decision I'm asking you to make of these four things. I'm not asking you to decide this for me. I'm not asking you to decide this for the person next to you today or anyone else in this room. I'm asking you to make this decision between you and God. I'm asking you to do this, to commit to God four things. One, that I will recognize that God owns everything. 
All the stuff that I have, it's not really mine. It's God's. I'm just taking care of it. Secondly, I want you to commit to God that you will work to defeat debt in your life. That you will work to take the steps to eliminate that bondage of debt in your life. Third, that we'll commit to God that I choose to honor God by giving 10% to Him. You know what? It's not about, again, a commitment between you and the church. This is all about you committing to God that you're going to honor Him with this part of your life. And the way He says you do that is by giving to Him and making Him the top priority financially. And finally, I will commit to God that I will be financially successful God's way. Now, the temptation is for us to try to achieve financial success the way our culture defines it. But I'm challenging you today, would you decide before God that you will achieve financial success the way God describes it? So I want to pray for us in a moment. And I want you while we're praying, you have a conversation with God. And you decide whether or not you're willing to make the decision today to make this commitment. And then I encourage you, put this card somewhere where you'll see it often. We made it like a credit card, so maybe you'll want to just stick it right in your wallet. And every time you go to pull out those real credit cards, you'll be reminded of this commitment that you made to God. Before I pray, though, there's one other decision that some of you in this room need to make today. And that is the decision that you need to follow Jesus Christ. You need to allow Him to become the leader of your life. You need to accept His gift of forgiveness and grace and have all of the wrong that you've ever done in life forgiven and washed away. If you've never experienced that in your life, some of our staff will be down here at the front after our service and we would love the privilege of talking to you about how you could know Jesus Christ and have a deep relationship with you and it will forever change you. So God, I'm asking you today, I'm asking you to help us. God, as we wrestle in our own hearts with this very difficult issue, Would You help us to have the courage and the boldness to commit to You, to decide today that we want to line up the way we do our finances with Your plan. God, that we want to commit our finances to You, that we want to make You in charge and the leader and the priority in the financial area of our life. God, would You help us to do that? And God, I know from personal experience the blessings that will come in our lives in so many different ways as we make this commitment to You. Thank You, God, for what You'll do. In the very precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.